This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Day two of one of the biggest strikes in Canadian history. Don't know if it'll be one of the longest or one of the most costly in terms of time and money, but 150,000 federal public servants are out and some critical services that you may need are going to be, if not unavailable, a lot less available. It's important to note 47,000 of the federal employees have been deemed essential by the union and the government, so they continue their job, but 150,000 are out. So this is one of the biggest labor actions uh, we've seen. And uh, 35,000 CRA workers on strike as well. The concept seems to be file your taxes anyway. File your taxes anyway if you haven't yet do it because the longer you wait, if you wait to file until the strike's over, then you're just going to be that much more delayed to get your money. Maybe there's a big expedited process to get your money back if you're waiting for a refund, um, especially if you're a small business. Do it now. You know, swallow hard. Do do the paperwork. Pay your H&R block uh, man or woman and then move it along and, and wait and just sit there. But it may not come as easily as it used to last year or the year before or the year before that. You need an urgent passport for a vacation. That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. They're only going to process uh, passports for Canadians experiencing humanitarian or emergency situations. But I'd make the case if you have to travel for work, that's an emergency. If your small business is on the line, that's an emergency. If your job requires you to get on and off of airplanes like like George Clooney in that movie, although I think he's only going around firing people. Bad George Clooney. Uh, the air up there, I think it is, um, or up in the air. It's one or the other. Either he's recruiting a basketball, a seven-foot basketball player from a foreign country, or he's uh, that might be the Kevin Bacon movie. Either way, that's the kind of that's the kind of scenario where they'll renew your passports potentially. But there's no guarantee of any of this stuff. This is sort of uncharted waters here. What happened yesterday was um, on television. Uh, I saw a report. And I'm <laughs> Tariah Isri is the global news reporter in Ottawa, and she put a great report together. So this is absolutely something she should have done. Um, she shouldn't get any blowback for it. But I saw people just living on planet delusional. And I heard from a bunch of CRA workers after I posted video of the of the story that Tariah put together. And um, they're just aghast that people like this walk amongst them. So here's some of the people picketing in Ottawa looking for a better contract and and really refusing to go back into the office. That's what they are doing. They are putting their foot down, feet down, saying, I can do my job from home. We're not coming back in. Here's what we saw yesterday. I believe that there, we made the transition um, in during the pandemic to uh, work from home. I still believe that the pandemic is not over. Um, going to work is risking getting sick. I feel like working at home, you are still completing your day-to-day tasks. So I think as public servants, we should have the option to choose. Okay. Okay. Now, um, this is bad timing for a strike. Um, there's people, everybody's wondering, where's where's mine? And I don't blame, like nurses have been absolutely uh, railroaded with their with their pay. Uh, we, t- we said we'd take care of personal PSWs at long-term care centers, and we haven't done that. And I have enough friends that are teachers, and probably you do also. The advice I think they're getting and, and people are giving them who care about them, who care about education, is re-sign your old deal and fight this out in two or three years. 
when the economy doesn't suck, when we're further through the pandemic, you'd look greedy right now. And they get it. No one gave these public service workers the same advice. Then we get somebody uh, in front of the camera yesterday that decides, um, oh, I, I, I know. I, I know why I shouldn't work. I could get the flu or something. Here's what she said. We proved ourselves that we can work efficiently and more productively from home. And um, the fact that they're mandating us going back to work two days a week just doesn't make sense. So we basically for more than two years have been... Uh, suffering with the stalling tactics from the Treasury Board uh, and our employers not showing the respect not only workers of the public service deserve, but here's the thing, right? We want to stand uh, to raise the bar. Okay, my goodness. Jesus Marimba, mandating you come to the office two days a week. A lot of people are saying, I need to become a federal worker, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't like what my friends say about me in terms of how soft I am. She wants a higher salary. That first person you heard who, who has declared the pandemic unover, not over, she wants a higher salary than a police officer. An RCMP cop starts as a rookie at $58,000. She wants more than that. She wants more than that. And if you worked full-time throughout as a, uh, as a commoner and did the work that you needed to do, you were taking risks at the time. And you were thanked for those risks. But my goodness... My goodness, you've got to read the room. By the way, none of us who come into work, any of us on the show or anything, don't pat us on the back. Some of us just looked and said, thank goodness we kept our jobs. Thank goodness we didn't miss a paycheck because not everybody did. And people lost their businesses. These people don't get it. They don't get it. And there used to be a time for centuries. We used to go to work and be exposed to other people. But we saw more benefits in coming into offices than drawbacks. I'm not saying every job needs to be five days a week. Hell, the person I'm talking to right now might say, no, I don't need to be in five days a week. That's fine. They're asking these people to come in two days a week. And they haven't seen an office in 38 months. Holy cow. Holy cow. You're not going to gain a lot of public sympathy, especially once these services start to be withdrawn. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. The mayoral election is June 26th, and this was long anticipated earlier this week. Former mayoral candidate, Toronto City Councilor, and a former uh, member of Parliament is running for mayor, and it's gotten a lot of attention, rightly so. Uh, she joins us now in Toronto Today. She is Olivia Chow. Olivia, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks very much much for doing this this morning. Good morning, Greg. How are you? I'm really good. And I will tell you, a million people probably come up to you and say this, and I will say we all have a better half for a reason. I met your wonderful late husband on TSN's Off the Record with Michael Landsberg. You, you show up at those TV tapings, Olivia, and it's kind of like a blind date. You're not sure who's going to be there. Warm man, wonderful man, a man I admired, and, and I wanted to let you know his he had a big impact on me and, and just doing things the right way, and I wanted you to know that. Aw, Thank you so much. First thing in the morning. That's really appreciate that. Greg. Yeah, it's, we all get judged by our partners, and uh, and and uh, you you picked an awesome one, and 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 so did he. Let's start here. How how has the city changed since 2014? You ran in 2014. Give me a give me a good change. Give me a change you're concerned about, which is the latter is probably why you're in the race. How has it changed in nine years? Oh, there. I, I didn't see people sleeping uh, on buses and subways, uh, and they weren't using TTCS shelters. Um, my parks is not as scruffy then, 
And, um, well, we had potholes then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems to be a bit bigger now. Uh, and and uh, uh, things seems to be... Uh, we, we're a great city, but uh, we are stuck in traffic and stuck waiting for affordable housing. I just went and looked at, before I decided to run, I looked at the number of people on waiting list for good affordable housing. It was 90,000 households. My God, that includes kids and, and seniors. The highest numbers are seniors. And I thought, my God, if you add all of those, it's over like 120,000 people. Whoa, this is unbelievably bad. So we're stuck. And the, the final straw is 911. When you call 911, we have to be put on hold, sometimes almost six minutes. I, I had this experience with my dad. I thought, no, 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 this is not good enough. So I can't stand by. And uh, I want to uh, get this city unstuck together with uh, all the people that I know really passionately believe in this city. So that's why I'm in. I got you. I got you. Um, We've been deemed a city in in big financial trouble. The financial problems are worse for Toronto than they were in 2014. Uh, Things are I I know the things that are that are mattering to you. uh, You're going to advocate for. But what will you cut? Other candidates have laid out what they want to spend less on. So what does Olivia Chow spend less on if she's mayor where we could, you know, to pardon the phrase, trim some fat? What could we do? Uh, I can't tell you right now because uh, I'm not 100 percent sure that there's any fat left because I think the city service has been cut to the bone, cut to the bone marrow, because every year I've noticed there's more cuts to TDC. I, you can't, you get into the TDC station. There's no officer. The TDC folks, it's not behind the screen anymore, right? Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And so I think there's too many cuts already. In fact, I want to restore TDC, what? get those people back onto this station. Well, will, that, will the numbers, okay, I, absolutely. And that's something you advocate for. But to do that, this is all a lot like a family budget, right? We've all done those. If you spend here, you can't spend here. There must be something that pops into your head and you go, this is excessive. This does. This is unnecessary. Where, whereas you're, you're talking about the things that are necessary. What's excessive? What's unnecessary in Toronto? Well, uh, let me tell you, I've been on uh, the budget committee for 10 years. I, I know how to do family budget because I'm the one that did right. family budget for many years. The roof is leaking. It's not trying to maybe sell a piece of furniture here and there. The roof is actually leaking. And we need to uh, ask and work. Well, we all have to pay the fair share, you know, in terms Mm. of uh, how much we pay in terms of taxes and all that stuff. But um, the budget of a family or city is about our priorities. What do we need most, right? We start with that and then we build it. And then, yes, we do will then have to look okay. at what we need to cut. Uh, and, and, and Duck Ford has this uh, audit thing going on at the city. And we'll see what comes out. And, um, and I, I think it's really important that we build it uh, based on what we need most, our priorities. John Tory raised, okay, John, that's, that's fair. John Tory raised residential property taxes 5.5% this 2023 budget. Was that the right move? 
uh, I think he had to, uh, and he well, still had a $1.5 billion uh, budget hole, which then brings me to uh, wonderful uh, federal and provincial partners. You, you, you know that I've been a member of parliament, been there for eight years, and I know how to work with different levels of government. And I think we, what the city has to get is a new deal from different levels of government and uh, some kind of revenue that would grow with our economy. Right now, our city, our, the financial center of Canada, uh, every year we have to humiliate ourselves and go and beg for money and we get little crumbs. This year, we didn't even get much crumbs. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, and that's not fair. We, uh, we are the biggest city. In Canada, we deserve a lot better. So I'm working with people, I think, with the citizens and residents of Toronto, because I firmly believe that we are stronger together. We can't get let the federal and provincial governments off the hook. They come and make these wonderful announcements. Guess who does the work? Well, we do, right? The, the city government does it. So uh, I, I've done it before because um, when I was at City Hall, yeah. uh, we got extra money from back then, Mike Harris government, to do rent subsidy to help those that were back in tent city so that we could house them immediately right so that um it it was a good solution but you'd start in july you'd start in july and you'd have six months where nobody's coming to help us at minimum no one's coming to help us the rest of 2023 do you have to raise municipal taxes even more than mayor tory did yes or no well uh our tax got put together in November, and then we get we start that process, and by March of next year, uh, we I I think that this city, if we come together, we are stronger together. Uh, oh, oh. I don't think we we will. Uh, yes, we will have to all pay taxes. We have to pay our fair share, but I know I we have to pay them, but do we have to raise them? <laughs> do we, we have, have to, to raise them? Something. Yes, we do have to raise something. Our inflation is pretty high mm. these days. I'm glad it's stabilized. You know, life is so unaffordable these days. Think about that. And uh, one of the things that we can do is to make life affordable. That could mean the TTC fairs. It can be building really good affordable housing because life is not affordable, not just because of taxes. It's because... Everything is so expensive. And City Hall can really help with that, uh, especially in the area of building decent, affordable housing, which, by the way, in the last eight years, with uh, not much have been built. You know how many people out of the 90,000 waiting each year get housing, get, get actual housing? You tell me. 700. 730 out of 90,000. No, that's no yep. good. Of course that's no I good. I know. I hey. know. That's why we're in serious trouble. Olivia, right? we're having and, we're having years of wait. I'm so glad you mentioned the homeless problem cuz you pointed it out and I I think this is going to be a strength of yours cuz you have compassion. It 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 courses through your veins. The homeless problem is much much worse than it was in 2014. 
and people have drug addiction problems. I think there are people out there with dire economic circumstances, but there's people that have addiction issues. How how do we make it better? What's your what's your platform? What's your plan? Well, my uh, I will have a full uh, platform coming out. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're going to see a lot of ideas from me, and people will be excited. But on the homeless front and the um, the addiction. Uh, multi-pronged uh, approach because I know people that have uh, family members that are addicted and it's not one thing. Uh, first thing, I, uh, it, it's, it's a comprehensive approach, holistic approach. You have to fix their housing problem. If, you don't have, if they don't have a home, they, they are not taking the medication they might need. Mm. Um, they are not getting the help they need. Okay, so having a home is really a shelter, a roof over your head is the most important. The second thing, they need treatment, right? They uh, they need support. It's community support, and it's uh, complex. And thirdly, yeah, yeah and uh, the, the it could be treatment depends on whether they have different issues, right? Some have uh, just addiction issues. Others mm-hmm. have some violent issue that they have to deal with. Other is mental health issues. So you can't say it depends on who they are. The other thing is that when you call 911, uh, they need, the nine, if, if that person is in crisis, uh, instead of the police officers going in there, uh, perhaps what we need is, and I know it has helped their pilot to have mental health workers to go and support them, right? Because just throwing them to jail in the, uh, one or three nights or 10 or 15, you know, it's not going to do the work. So I, I just noticed that uh, that there is a, uh, the Ontario is expanding the uh, community-based... The, the courts, court. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a, again, that's a holistic approach, you know? It's, it's a good thing to do. I think I think I want to I want to cover that um, nine one one issue because I, I look and I say I think there's some boxes that get checked where we need police officers if someone has a weapon if someone is violent but at the same time if that's not the case there are many cases we can't here's how I put it if we've got somebody in a violent situation we can't some send somebody with a clipboard if we have somebody in a non-violent situation we can't be sending a SWAT team and make we need to find a hybrid solution where maybe yeah. our police are working they can't be asked to be mental health counselors but can they take one with them maybe so maybe so yeah. totally agree Totally agree. Uh, that's the way to go. And but right now, every night we have seventy to eighty homeless folks that go to us. Say, can we find a shelter? And they get turned away because the shelters are full, and that's desperate. That's why they in TDC. They're in our libraries. They are uh, all over our public spaces. They're and in they're in our it. emergency rooms, aren't they? Which is the, oh, like yeah. it's unbelievable. That's not right for them, and that's not right for for the hospitals either. I, yeah, absolutely. So that we have to have more shelters for these folks, and they have to be able to transition to supportive housing. If not, it's just going to be revolving door back mm. and forth. I um, 
had uh, I learned a lot from uh, a team called the Dream Team. These are folks that used to have mental health issues, and they were homeless. They found homes through uh, an agency called Home First, and they turned their life around. And they go out and say, "This is who I am. I was." I, who I was, yeah. and my life got turned around because I had a roof over my head. It was just most incredibly uplifting and positive thing of how we could uh, support each other better. That's, Which is why, at the end of the day, we we need a city that cares for each other and uh, and make it affordable and make uh, it safer. Yeah, that's important. Olivia Chow is our guest on Toronto Today. I appreciate your extra time, to uh, Police, what's their role in the city if you're mayor. I think there has to be all things to all people. And I, I, you've watched the controversies about funding the police the last few years from afar. What does a, a Toronto Police Services look like with, with you as mayor? Well, they are there to serve and protect. And I know their officer that said that, yeah, we're not that equipped to go to mental health situation, right? So we already talked about that. But there's violent crime. They need to be there. And uh, they could work with local communities uh, to reduce crime. Because only, if the cops are only there after the crime happens, that's, uh, that, mm -hmm. I, I'm glad they're doing that. Uh, or uh, if there's a crisis situation, it's a shutdown or lockdown, and, and someone's running around with gun, we get cops, 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 we need cops. Uh, but... I, I, when I was a city councilor, I worked with the local officers and we did a lot of uh, discussion with the local neighborhoods and say, okay, we're seeing a bunch of big brick-ins. This is the pattern. This is the time. Uh, this is how they do it. And yeah. uh, how do we get together and prevent that from happening more? Uh, so that kind of work, the prevention work is also quite helpful for local communities. Last thing for you. Are you playing? Do you have to? You're two weeks. You've seen the contenders talk about policy, make announcements, and, and, and give a lot of details for, for the first two weeks. You're in this to win this. Are you playing catch up with policy announcements? Like you're going to go to doors and people are going to say, What are you running on? Why should I vote for you? What's, what's a short answer right now that, that you go right off the top of your mouth? This is why I'm doing this. I, I think I answered in your first question. I hope it meets your approval. Of course, you're going to hear a lot of platforms and policies from me. Uh, I had an entire policy book <laughs> from 2014. I'm known to be a policy wonk. I, uh, people will be excited by uh, what, uh, what I will be announcing. Uh, in view, of course, it's coming. It's very soon. But, you know, um, speaking about ideas, this fellow called former mayoral candidate Gil Penaloza. I saw him endorse you yesterday. That's a big feather in your cap. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, no one would ever accuse him of not having brilliant ideas. And I'm so <laughs> blessed to have him come and join my team. And uh, I want to make sure that he implement some of the ideas. There's so many policies mm. out at City Hall. I can dust up a bunch of reports with amazing policies. But you know what? Let's get it done. Because for many years, things weren't done, right? Lots of good report, lots of stuff on paper. If you don't get them done, it's just still on the piece of paper. So that's one thing I know how to do. I know how to get things done. I know how to work with other people, no matter which 
Politico Strike, they, ha- they are from. I gotcha. I know you're just getting started. Thanks very much for your time today and all that detail, I, I think, helps the listeners make decisions. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Greg. Hope you get to Hyde Park and check out those. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, yeah, I can't drive the car in, so somebody will have to drop me off <laughs> along yeah, the way. <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. There's Olivia Chow joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. A 14-year-old child, and that's that's jarring when you read it in the Toronto Star story. A 14-year-old child has been arrested after allegedly threatening a junior and secondary school in Toronto. Um, so that suspect, uh, they haven't named him. Uh, there's no gender even. The child will appeal before appear before the court today, um, and they don't know about the threat. They don't know if this is a phone call, whether this is online. Um, none of that info is coming out. Police don't want to identify them. And I get that. We, we're still there with those um, uh, teen girls that are accused of second-degree murder. The charge was second-degree murder um, in the death of a homeless person before Christmas, about a week and a half before Christmas. It kind of jarred all of us in the middle of December. But, Sheba, add, you know, add this to the list of things we never, ever thought of or talked about or the potential was there when we went to school. Not not in the least. And these things happen quite consistently, it feels like now. Well, I hate to sound like I'm 100 years old, but yes, it was a very different time when we went to school. And we didn't have social media. I think that place, this, that place did that so much. TikTok, Snapchat, a lot of these kids are living for that life, living for that post, living for those likes. Uh, but this, I don't understand why they haven't. So this is a 14-year-old. This is all we know. And this 14-year-old has threatened a junior in secondary school in Toronto, Forest Hill Junior in senior public school. And this will happen on Wednesday morning. They're going to be in court tomorrow. Today. But they're not... Yeah, sorry. Today's yep. the 20th. Yep, yes, yep. you're right. Yep. But I don't understand why they're not... Ident- you don't have to identify the child, but why can't you say if it's a male or a female? Yeah, that's an interesting thing about it right now. Um, I don't know. I don't have a great, and, and a great answer for that. is saying... Because it's a young person that's involved, we will not release any info that will potentially identify them. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that either. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if I'm a 14, 15, 16-year-old, well, maybe not 16, but and I have too much time on my hands and I don't have enough supervision and let's say the pandemic has affected me and I'm out there and I want to cause some trouble or make a really great Snapchat or TikTok uh, and then I won't get identified, so much the easier for me. How yeah. will my future be affected, really? And this story has, you, you make a great point, this story has a second, the story in the Toronto Star has almost a sub-story, which is like, oh, and by the way, something else happened yesterday um, at Weston Collegiate. They put that school under hold and secure. A group yes. of kids threatened to shoot at the institution. Great. Um, so they didn't access, you couldn't get inside the school throughout the day. They locked the exterior doors and students stayed inside. So I assume if, if you were picking kid, we do this all the time, right? You pick a kid up for a dentist appointment or they're not no, feeling well. That. Yeah, that goes out the window. So these are hold and secure measures and they extended this out till the end of the day. Police were on the scene, uh, basically walking kids out, walking staff out. And you're like, Oh my goodness! Like, and again, I don't know where these shows go. I don't know where these stories go. What will happen to the fourteen-year-old? Does that kid ever go back to the school? Parents, if you hear anything from parents, Sheba, it's that they tell us nothing. We get a you parents all the time get texts from their kids. Oh, we're in lockdown right now because of a threat. What's the threat about? Can't no idea. They won't tell us. 
And that's really concerning. Oh, and to, terrifying as for these kids too. Yeah, as a parent, as a child. But this is the frustration when it comes to safety at school, when it comes to the curriculum. Like all of these things, parents are completely left in the dark. And these are the issues I tell you time and time again. Mm-hmm. These are the issues I want to hear our mayoral candidates talking about. I want I want to hear about education. I want to hear about safety. I don't want to hear about the Ontario Science Center. I don't talk yeah. to me about that. Yeah. Spend two minutes on that topic, what you think of it, and then move on to issues like this. Look what's happening. I mean, from December to now, the amount of crime by youth in this city, there is a big problem here. How are you going to address this? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's a that's a huge factor right there. And by the way, if you are um, in the corner, I don't know if some candidates are deemed more pro-police than others. But when I, I, here's what I know. No matter what you think of police transparency, Shiva, no matter what you think of police tactics, if your child is locked up in a school, locked down in a school, locked up in a school because someone has threatened that school or there's been a gun incident or a stabbing incident, um, you want police there within 30 seconds. You don't want them there in half an hour and you don't want them not there at all. So it's a lot of people talk a good game. I mean, look, this is what John Tory said about a couple of city councilors. And he said um, they don't seem to be showing up at city council to talk about the importance of police. But I get calls from them all the time saying we need more police in our neighborhood. But they'll say it. They'll do that privately and they won't say it in front of a microphone because like everything else, it feels like right now, supporting police seems to be about politics as as opposed to practicality. And it shouldn't be. It just shouldn't be. I'm with you on that. Have your kids ever been in a hold and secure? No, but before they went to the high school they're at now, I remember being it's a weird memory that you bring that up. I, I remember being in the UK and my neighbor texted me. I don't think he even knew I was in the UK. And he's like, there's like. Um, a, a, bo- a bomb threat at the high school. And so this would be like 2018 before they're even going there. But he wondered if they were going to c- sort of clear out the cl- the close two or three public school, elementary schools, excuse me, to the high school. And it turns out we didn't. But I remember being, <laughs> this tells you how communication goes. He's in, he's living at home. Uh, he's at home texting me in London, England, time difference and all. And then I text my wife back next door to where I get the text from. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> I just need you to be aware of this in case the kids are are, are sent home because there's a threat to a school that's, you know, 800 meters away or whatever. Well, the same thing. Like it's sort of, you know, let's let's wait this out and see where it goes. But she's not going to yeah. race to the school in a panic and pull them out. But so far, but you know, a lot of parents do that. I, I bet you I, they do. The, the, yeah, they do. Like they, the minute there's any trouble, even at a neighboring school, they will. Because I see this in the mom groups. This is going on. There's a there's a lockdown at this school. Oh, they're like, okay, I'm getting my car. I'm going to the, the neighboring school. I'm pulling my kids out. Well, so there's Weston. You may, yeah, exactly. Well, there's Weston Collegiate today. So they 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 get a hold and secure. Kids can't get out. Nobody can get in. They probably canceled like after school baseball practice and 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 track and field and whatever they were doing sucks for these kids sure it does they've been through enough and but but what do you think the attendance is going to be at weston collegiate today 50 percent 60 percent you're gonna have a lot of parents groups of parents like you just said (sighs) leaving kids at home and there's more disruptions to the educational process when we've got the first normal spring um in in ages like your you know you've I, I was so excited last year but you remember me being really nervous in april going we've got to get through like i wanted him to have a graduation so badly i wanted grandparents to be able to come up and see my eighth grader graduate because in the middle of yes. sixth grade everything you know no pun intended blew up on us and the world changed and you're going to get your graduation this year 
for your son. But last year at this time, last year at this time, nothing was certain. And you had a lot of people, again, politics saying, oh, I don't know. It's not safe. I don't know the hallways and, you know, the class sizes. And maybe we should just have masks on till the end of the school year. You had a lot of that stuff happening at this point last year. You can hear my voice. I know. Raging a little bit. But I don't know. You're right. Like I, I the 14 year old, I, this court appearance is interesting today. And then do you go, well, this kid can't ever come back to this school again. So who takes him? Who takes him or her at, at a point in time? But to me, if, if Forest Hill Jr. If and, happens, are they that? Are they it, it really? Are, are they that disciplined? Can the school board do that? I feel like school boards, their hands are tied in so many different ways now. Yeah. That I wouldn't be surprised if this kid ends up back at the school they were in in a week or two. Yeah. And then after but, a suspension, but I wonder, look, kids read and, ki- and teenagers talk just like parents talk. Aren't they going to know? It doesn't every teenager at the school know exactly who this is right now. That's I would it. think. Yes. That's so how does it. that See, kid get a fair shake? Go to the school, the school after the show and just get the name, <laughs> identify this kid. Yeah, that's what we'll do tomorrow morning. Everybody tune in. To load up that. the uh, load up the 640 Toronto news truck. We're coming to Forest Hill Junior and Senior Public School. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're very excited to talk to our next guest. He's a two-term city councillor, Ward 19 uh, in Beaches, East York. He's also the chair of the Affordable Planning and Housing Committee. And yesterday brought a really unique and interesting announcement out about the concept of Toronto Police Bail Compliance Units. So let's talk about that and a few other issues with Brad Bradford. It's great to have you back on Toronto today. Brad, thanks for making the time. Love to be here, Greg. How you doing? I'm great. Yeah, I don't think anything ever is going to gain um, universal acclaim in a city like Toronto, but I did see a lot of people saying this is a really intriguing idea. And it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to get tough on crime and this will happen and we'll station police here. But this is also something that you can sort of, you know, get into um, federal jurisdiction without getting into federal jurisdiction. Tell us about the concept of uh, of of this uh, of this process, these officers would would be exclusively tasked with looking at people out on bail and making sure they're they're following the conditions of their bail. That's right. I, I think it's fair to say we need urgent action to stop the rise in crime and see justice upheld for all of Toronto. We do have individuals charged with violent crime out on bail across the entire city. And these individuals know right now that nobody's enforcing their conditions. So yesterday I announced as mayor, I will establish dedicated bail compliance units by working with the Toronto Police Service to keep tabs on alleged criminals who the courts have released into our community. And the bail compliance units will consist of 68 new officers, on average four at each of Toronto's 17 police divisions. And they will be there to focus on engaging, monitoring, deterring, and enforcing the compliance of bail conditions in the law, that doesn't happen right now. Do you need any kind of response from the federal government who generally handle um, bail proceedings? Um, obviously, courts are, uh, are, you know, court and, and law enforcement is local, of course, but the, the court system and the bail process, this is why all the premiers are telling the federal government, all of them across party lines, we need help with bail and probation issues. Um, does the federal government have any say or interplay with these officers at all? 
Well, I think we definitely need bail reform. Everybody understands that. And as you mentioned, uh, back in January, 13 premiers across the entire country wrote uh, wrote the federal government to say bail reform is, is urgently needed. City Council has said the same thing. We've, we've written letters and sent that up to other levels of government. But I'm kind of done writing letters, you know, I'm kind of done asking for other people to do the things that need to get done. Uh, when I'm a strong mayor of action, we're going to stand up this bail compliance unit here in the city to make sure that we have the resources available to actually enforce the bail conditions that uh, that are imposed. And, and to your point, you know, that that sits with the uh, the justice of the peace. Uh, those are provincial courts who are releasing these individuals into our communities. So we have to work with the province on that. You know, federal jurisdiction over over bail and, and who qualifies for bail. We need reform there. But the city does not currently have the resources for Toronto police to do the enforcement on the conditions. And as a result, most times it, it just doesn't get done. And that's why we see repeat offenders out there in the community who continue to repeat offend, often with violent crimes. And, uh, you know, when it comes to community safety here in Toronto, this is something that we can and will do right now. And as mayor, it's something I'm going to stand up immediately. Brad, uh, Brad, Brad Bradford's our guest on 640 Toronto on Toronto Today. I want to get to a stat you released yesterday about shooting-related homicides. But, yeah, to, for, for further clarification, the federal government couldn't turn back at you and say th- they have rights and their civil rights are being violated by Toronto police checking on a curfew or checking to see somebody's complying with house arrest. Is there any jurisdictional issues that you're worried about with this policy? Not at all. I mean, like, that's literally what's supposed to be happening right now. It just doesn't happen because it hasn't been resourced. And, you know, I spent a lot of time talking with folks in Toronto police, uh, all the way to the superintendent level, inspectors, staff sergeant, constables. They tell me this is a gap in the system. It's existed for a long time. And we'll get into some of the Mm. stats. But, you know, those individuals who are charged with violent crimes, they're out in the community across Toronto and the tendency to reoffend is high. And I think that also corresponds with the fact that, you know, those violent offenders know that there's nobody out there checking on on the conditions that are imposed by the province. Okay, 44 shooting related homicides in Toronto. Again, I think data more important than anecdotes in in issues like this. And you made the point that um, there's a high number of people that were out on bail, either for a firearm related offense or another charge um, who, who got arrested for those shooting related homicides. Yeah, I mean, and and that's exactly it. Last year, 44 gun-related murders in the city of Toronto. 24 of those uh, arrested and charged were out on bail for other other violent offenses. Seven of those were actually out on on firearm-related offenses. Uh, You go back to 2021, um, you had 165 individuals released on bail for firearms-related charges. Uh, 98 of those 165, 98 of them, were rearrested for a third time. Uh, and so half of these habitual and dangerous offenders uh, continue to be granted bail. And again, violent offenders know that there's nobody watching. Uh, and so, you know, the conditions are not being being enforced. And as a result, we, we have the revolving door of people with very serious charges going in and out and in and out on bail. And our communities are, are less mm. safe as a result. 
I think the um, the the murder of the of the sixteen year old at Keel Station. This would be three weeks ago, um, Saturday. Uh, I think it just changed the whole tone of the conversation about law enforcement and crime. Am I am I right to say that? I mean, look, everybody gets a vote, so whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing to say, I think it's the accurate thing to say. Do you see it that way, also? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, it's heartbreaking. We are all still grieving. You know, the, the murder of a 16 year old boy and, you know, the accused in that in that instance has an extensive criminal history in Ontario, including 20 different charges for sexual assault, assaulting a police officer, mischief or dam- damaging an ankle monitor, assault and, and uttering threats. So, you know, it's not like he wasn't known to authorities, mm-hmm. um, but that individual was was out on on a probation order for sexual assault. And uh, just a few weeks prior, I mean, you had the you had the shooting at um, at Fairway Mall, right? And and that was another instance of an individual out on bail, um, and more violent crime and playing out right in the heart of the community. So Torontonians are right to be upset about this. Uh, Torontonians are right to be concerned, and it's time for less talk, more action. Let's actually do something about it. It's not enough to call for a meeting with the prime minister. It's not enough to to write more letters to Queens Park. This is something that I will do as mayor, and it will make a real difference in our ability to enforce the bail conditions that currently uh, are not being enforced to the degree they need to be. I got about a minute here, but you're, I think you're deemed, I think it's safe to say, one of five, maybe six heavyweight contenders to get the job. I don't think people can visualize anybody except five or six people getting the votes required to become mayor. One of the other contenders, I'd say is the former chief of police in Toronto. But I, I, I also think it's people say to me, well, there aren't cops criticizing Mark Saunders, but I'd make the case that something like this has a practicality that I haven't heard from that particular candidate. How would you view it? I, you're not running against one person, but you've certainly come out strongly um, as a law and order candidate. Yeah, I, I, I try to be a thoughtful uh, person in this position, and I learn a lot from listening to people. So I, I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. I just need to get good advice from folks who, uh, you know, who have that lived experience. And like I said, I've talked to a lot of folks in, in law enforcement. I've talked to a lot of folks in community who are, are wrestling with, mm. with community violence, and they point to this as an existing gap. So practically, pragmatically, it seems like a program we ought mm. to stand up there is an opportunity for collaboration with the province. We are, of course, enforcing um, the bail restrictions that are imposed by by provincial justice of the peace, and it mm. makes a lot of sense. But the time for writing letters and calling for meetings is over. Let's get serious about making our community safer. We need to make those investments, mm. and we need to get the job done. I'm going to do it. Brad Bradford, our guest, Toronto Today. Thanks for the time, Brad. Talk soon. See you, Greg. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. We insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever heard the phrase, everything can give you cancer? 
Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson's awesome. Stepping out, right? Is she really going out with him? He has a song called Cancer, and that's kind of the concept. Everything gives you cancer. There's no cure. There's no answer. That's pretty catchy. I, I wouldn't. I, that's not. That shouldn't be a Meryl slogan. <laughs> that's your answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> Vote for me. That's right. Vote for me. Uh, I, yes, I'm. I'm pro cancer. That doesn't work that way. But I'm really disturbed because one of the things I love more than anything on the planet, I love. You know, I love when the lights go down for a concert. I love complaining about a, a thing on my finger. But I love a new car smell. I love rental car smell. And when the new car smell goes away, I'm I'm a little sad. When it starts to smell like, you know, my kids' McDonald's bags and sweat and toes and things like that, it's disgusting. But Sheba, we see this new study that um, if you like a new car smell... It's actually bad for you, and cancer-causing chemicals might be responsible for the heavenly new car smell. Yes. I see this. I read this. Tell me, knowing what you know now, are you in or are you out on the new car smell, Brady? (sighs) Look, I I think, who's it? Uh, Sean Connery and the Untouchables. Uh, They're going into like a raid. He's like with Kevin Costner, uh, the 1987 Brian De Palma movie. And he's like, oh, whatever. You got. Yeah, I can't do a Scottish accent. You got to die of something. And that's (laughs) sort of how I view the new car smell. (laughs) Okay, so you're in. I love it. I love it so much. Here's 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 something sitting in a car with a new car smell for just a half hour every day can result in dangerous levels of exposure. Um, And this is a new study from Harvard University and the Beijing Institute of Technology. What do those two places know? But if you love the new car smell, you're in. And if you say, I don't like it. And now that you're telling me this, I'm going to spend as little time as possible in the new car. But Sheba, if someone called me or texted the show and said, I have a new car. Would you like to come in and sit in it and smell things? I would have been like, what time can I get there? (laughs) That's how much I love new car smell. Okay, so you're in. in. Let us know if you're in or out. 416-870-6400. You in or out on the new car smell, knowing what you know now, what you learned on Toronto today. As for me, I also love the new car smell. I do. I love it. It's exciting. It's fun. It's, it's you know, the novelty does wear off. Fun fact, mm-hmm. new car smell doesn't last, uh, I'd say, more than six months, according to science. Uh, and the reason that it smells this way is it's the formaldehyde. It's one of the chemicals that's in the materials. So now that this has come out that, yes, the formaldehyde is cancer-causing inhaled like this, Yeah. Uh, I'm going to preface this with anything that science shows and Harvard shows that causes <laughs> cancer, I'm out. So I'm absolutely, I love but the new car smell. But what will you smell, do? Will you, no. wear a, uh, will you wear a, like a respirator <laughs> for the six months? Is hey. this why people are wearing respirators alone in their cars? Because they have a yes. new car and they, they're worried about... That's formaldehyde. I, That's why I'll don't judge a person that. wearing a mask in their now. car. No, no, you never know. You never know. My judging so days I'm are out over. On this. You're out. Okay, Gord. Gord. Uh, I'm out. I don't what? care for the new car smell. I knew it was chemicals to begin with because they always give it the once over before you you take it. It has to it. be something, right? But do you like a gasoline smell and skunks? Be one of those. I like gasoline, not smunks. Yeah. I do and, like and fresh cut grass. Oh, I like no, I like skunks. That's too. the grass screaming skunks. after you, after you've killed it. I think you like if your cats got outside and they were sprayed by a skunk, you wouldn't Ugh. like the skunk smell. You like it from a distance. You don't like yes, it on like, jumping really? up on your couch to this watch week. TV with oh. you. 
this week, early in the morning, I was driving into work <laughs> and there was I drove by a, a, <laughs> the skunk smell and I was like, oh, it's a great way to start the day. What? It's not bad. Yeah, designed it's to fun. repel you. It's supposed to make you go the other direction, not come. I think there's a little bit of a. Sti- it's a little bit of a stimulant. I don't think she was wrong about that. It's a little bit of a wake up. Like you, yeah. like you're a little more spry when you smell a skunk. <laughs> All right, four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. In or out on the new car smell. And a great person to ask would be Dave Bradley. Do you love a new car smell, but you know it has its risk to it? Like, oh, yeah. It doesn't, it's not magic. It's formaldehyde, yeah. and that's bad, apparently. Absolutely. It's the foam in the seats airing off and all the, the plastics. and so, Yeah, but it still smells cool. So, I mean, it means you have a new car, right? When you and I, when we get a rental car, why does it smell new if it's got like, like 30,000 K on it? But do you think there's a new car spray that they use? Maybe. Air? That could I, be. Are they spraying brand new formaldehyde into an older car? <laughs> and you're like, oh. It's an old science beaker sitting in the trunk. But honestly, if if that's how I get cancer and new car smell, t- I'm, I'm going to be on my deathbed saying goodbye to everybody going, I yeah, regret nothing. Yeah. I regret absolutely. absolutely I didn't smoke. Yeah. I, I regret nothing about but, the new car smell. like you, I like the smell of gasoline as well. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it is so good. Oh, and leaded gasoline. It's hard to find. Race gas. Is. No, it smells so much better. <laughs> It's expensive. Let's bring some in. Let's bring some into the studio tomorrow. I have some if you want.